0: welcome to the show everybody here i am low jackson here this is the only you podcast you've tuned in for a reason maybe i'm hitting a cord maybe i'm throwing lightning bolts in your court i don't know but maybe i'm switching it up changing it up maybe you're doing you know a quadrilateral um, maneuver to get past monday maybe you're trying to divert to tuesday to make a better day but always know that If you're suffering, know that tomorrow's a new day and that every day brings something positive, whether it feels negative at the moment or feels insufficient at the time. Just know that everything happens for a reason and that your higher power is in total control of every situation that you're facing. And today, I'm gonna talk to you about a book called Pushing to the Front, Um, Theodore Roosevelt, Um, Henry Ford, Thomas Edison all praised this book in their time and each of these gentlemen actually read this book over 50 times they had quoted later in their lives Orison Sweat Martin wrote this book Um, it's a credited a self-help book that Oh, I'm sorry uh, Orison credited a self-help book by Samuel Smiles with allowing him to keep his head above water And rise up in the world that he belonged to. And that's phenomenal, you know. Uh, Dr. Orison Sweat Martin was born in 1848 and passed away, unfortunately, in 1924. He was an American inspirational author who wrote about achieving success in life and founded Success Magazine, which is still around to this day. His writings discuss common sense principles and virtues, That make for a well-rounded successful life and that's what I'm trying to get at I'm trying to get at a uh, more well-rounded successful life Um, life's hard enough as it is um, with money situations loss of loved ones the economy the housing market in a downturn you know we're always worried about so many different things in this life but if we focus more on the positive effects that hey You're lucky that you're able to breathe. You're able to actually use your lungs to breathe in, to breathe out. Your heart's ticking on its own by itself with no issues. Those are beautiful things. And the more you become grateful and the more you show gratitude, the more things in your life are going to come full circle. The more you're going to reap what you have sown in your lifetime. And that's on a positive note. We come to a point maybe around the age of 38 to 48 that we kind of like get in this i I, I i read this several times in many many different books that you know from the age 38 or the age around the age of 48 people feel like everything's silent they don't hear their god very much they feel alone desolate from other people and they struggle to realize that in those moments are when your higher power is trying to conform your mind to realize that you have a purpose to fulfill here. And if you're not fulfilling it, somebody, somewhere, somehow, some way will help you get there if you would only take the time to realize that we all need a time in our lives of three or four years when we're not hitting every milestone we're not having the greatest moments at work every single day we're not living an abundant life like we once were a few years back because we've come full circle to a point where you know our life needs the alone and the the downtime you know to you know help ourselves um, understand a situation and downtime also prepares us for things to come in our future that are our purpose you know to not to harden our heart to turn our backs on our loved ones or anything like that but to um actually grow and know that we're okay being alone that we're okay in our own skin and that it's time to realize that when you're surrounded by tons of people and situations that things aren't always going the way you want them to. You just think they are because nothing has gone on to make you realize that not everything that is going on is for you, but you think it is. And I do the same thing sometimes. Um, So today I'm doing a book called Pushing to the Front. It's by Orison Martin. I give this book a five star review, and it's like, you guys, I decided this season I was going to go back to like a hundred years just to see how far we've come. Because last season I did books of today um, psychological, behavioral, neuroplasticity, neural pathways. You know, we learned about the amygdala last year. Um, but this year I want to do, I, I wanted to back up in time because I feel like if you don't have any idea where these books come from and that you think that this person just came up with this idea on their own well they didn't they piggybacked off of the greats that were over there in italy learning like you know sigmund freud carl Jung, uh adler uh still all the greats you know that are out there and today i'm doing um pushing to the front i found this to be a great read um uh Because this guy was an orphan at one time. Um, Orson. Orson was an orphan. Um, Martin was born the 11th of June, 1848, in Thornton Gore, New Hampshire, to Lewis and Martha Martin. When he was three years old, his mother died at the age of 22, leaving Orson and his two sisters in the care of their father, who was a farmer, hunter, and trapper. When Orson was seven years old, his father died from injuries incurred while in the woods oh so maybe he was out hunting or you know maybe he got into it with an animal you never know consequently excuse me consequently the children were shuttled from one guardian to another with orson working for five successful successive families as a hired boy to earn his keep you guys so i mean think about it hired boy what does that entail to you when you hear the word hired boy come on you know exactly what that entails it makes you think that he was a slave and i mean that's no way to live honestly so uh during his early to mid-teens martin discovered a book entitled self help by scottish Arthur, author samuel smiles which i had told you about earlier in an attic the book marked a turning point in his life inspiring him to improve himself and his circumstances And I don't know if any of you out there have ever encountered a book that you found. Um, So a few years back, I was coming home all the time, and I was like, man, these guys are idiots. That guy's an idiot. And uh, my significant other said at the time, said, why do you always do that? You come home and you say, oh, he's an idiot. Oh, they're an idiot. You don't ever call yourself an idiot. I'm like, yes, I do in my own mind. She's like, oh, I've never heard you. So I then started thinking to myself, um, you know, I I Googled it. Um, why do I always think everybody around me is an idiot and it popped up a book called surrounded by idiots and it tells you about the disk system um, dominant inspiring stable compliant and it also tells you about the four different behavior types I learned more in that book about my kids than I had in 15 years I realized that I had a son They always said oh he's oppositional no he's not he's just a a blue he's he's compliant He, he don't get angry over anything until it's been a year or two and then he finally explodes that's his behavior type so I mean hopefully you guys have a book out there that you found and maybe this is the one pushing to the front because this is I mean I'm not telling you that Theodore Roosevelt Henry Ford and Thomas Edison read this book 50 times for any reason I'm telling you that because in reality Those were world-renowned minds. Those were innovators. Those were inventors. Those were entrepreneurs. These were people that, you know, before it was going on, it was going on to them. You know what I mean? And that's hard to come by. So get out there and find the book that changes your life. And that's what books are meant to do. And that's why if we all understood that we have a story to tell, and we needed to take the steps to cultivate that story because... This life is not meant to be squandered. Every person that dies without telling their story is a tragedy. Your story is meant to help someone else persevere, to get over the things that you had such, such problems with, you know. So he developed a deep uh, respect and an admiration for the author, which was Samuel Smiles, and he changed his life whose work instilled in him a desire to inspire others, as Samuel Smiles had done for him. Martin's young manhood was marked by remarkable energy and unbroken achievement. And I can guarantee you guys that, like I told you from the book Surrounded by Idiots by Thomas Erickson, that this gentleman right here is a yellow, and the inspirer is a special type of person. If you know somebody out there that's a chatterbox, they're always happy, being silly, being goofy, being funny, and they're messy, they're disorganized, that's a yellow. They, I mean, but, but a yellow is the one person who can n- not necessarily overcome every trauma that's happened to them, but I'm telling you this about yellows. They're resilient when it comes to abuses. They're resilient when it comes to um shortcomings they're resilient when it comes to bullying they're resilient it takes them so long to get upset and they can put up with so much because they feel like everybody should be equal and i mean i wish you guys would rush out and buy that book too because it is a life changer trust me and, and it makes sure it just makes you totally you'll read the first chapter of that book and you won't want to put it down i promise <laughs> anyways back to uh pushing to the front by orson martin and I'm reading about Orson Martin because uh, this book is a five-star review book. You can find this book pushing to the front on all the major platforms. I think I seen it at Barnes and Noble for the most expensive, and it was a dollar ninety-nine. <laughs> and I find that hilarious. Last um, last season, the books I was doing, they a lot of them started it right at fifteen dollars a book. You know, you couldn't. And I was spending an arm and a leg on books, in which I did learn a lot. I was able to, you know make a lot more transparent to my audience but then again you know it depleted my whole entire google account but uh pushing to the front was written in 1894 at age 44 martin switched his careers to professional authorship it was a bold decision to which he had given careful thought having suffered repeated business reversals at a hotel fire yeah, he was a hotelier too. Like, he owned a hotel at one point, I believe. His fervent sense of idealism, along with an urgent sense of now or never in middle life, spurred him onward in his new goal. Uh, Margaret Coonley, a contemporary who worked for Marg's uh, publishing firm in the early 1900s, describes the incident of the hotel fire, his narrow escape from death. Wow. And the loss of his original manuscript, which he later rewrote and entitled Pushing to the Front. Martin's unwavering determination to start from scratch after this devastating loss was characteristic of the man and his writings. Conley writes, and this is what, oh, excuse me, Coonley. This is what uh, <coughs> Margaret Coonley wrote about that situation. Um, sorry, I lost my place there for a second. <laughs> over 5000 pages of manuscripts the fruit of all the spare time he had been able to snatch from nearly 15 crowded years of busy oh excuse me of business life had gone up in smoke having nothing but his nightshirt on when he escaped from the fire he went down the street to provide himself with necessary clothing as soon as this had been attended to he bought a 25 cent notebook, and while the ruins of the hotel were still smoking, began to rewrite the memory, the manuscript of his dream book. I find that pretty awesome, right? Um, I want to say this too. Um, I, uh, Thomas Edison had a similar uh, thing happen to him. His uh, whole entire, uh, um, his whole entire bit, uh, like, his lab and everything burned down in philadelphia I, I believe it was and um the paper boy came by at like seven o'clock at night and said mr edison your laboratory's on fire <laughs> edison goes in the, back in the house and he says honey get your coat there's gonna be uh we, we need to go for a walk we need to go down to the lab he's like kid just stopped by here says burn down i'd love to go watch it it sounds exciting <laughs> went down there watched his place burn down And uh, as it was burning, no, the next day after the fire had gone out and everything, Henry Ford showed up because before this, Ford had gone to Edison at one point in Florida. They were at some convention, and Ford bragged to him about he had this idea about an automobile. Edison looked at him and said, don't talk about it. Be about it. You can do it. You're smart enough. I want to see it. And don't stop and don't come back and talk to me until you do it. Well, Edison's whole entire laboratory burns down, right? The next day, he's sifting through the rubble trying to save beakers and, you know, drill bits and whatever he can manage to save her out of the fire. Here here pulls up uh, Henry Ford because every time a new model came off the line, he always gave Thomas Edison one of the first cars that he made of every line that he made until the day he died. He gave Edison a new car every time it came off the line. Um, he, he pulls up in the new car that he's going to give Edison. He says... Here you go sir hands him a check for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to start over with now tell me if that's not a friend you know similar to the situation right here and i did want to tell you guys about margaret coonley too she's a a literary agent for over 30 years and she's worked as a lawyer and all kinds of other stuff too um but i thought that was a great Story to share because you know, obviously, uh, Orison Martin had lost his stuff, you know, to a fire, and it's unfortunate. Overwhelmed and heartbroken, Martin picked up himself and started all over again with little money, but with much time on his hands. He decided to rewrite the manuscript. He took a train from Boston, boarded an inexpensive little room, and threw himself energetically into his work. And that's what it's like when you, when you got a story inside of you that you, and I have, I've written two books, and man. Hold on, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Only You Podcast, where it's very vibrant. I'm glad you held on for that one whole minute that I had let you go. I am reading to you today, Pushing to the Front by Orson Martin. I think this is a great read, you guys. I really do. I don't know. It touched me. I mean, it was a, a book I had never heard of until two days ago. I picked it up and thought, man, I have got to do this one. I mean, it just... Everything about it just makes me feel good, you know? It makes me feel right, you know? Um, So I want to share with you a chapter of this book called Clear Grit. Let fortune empty her whole quiver on me. I have a soul that, like an ample shield, can take in all and verge enough for more. That was Dryden. There's a brave fellow, there's a man of pluck. A man who's not afraid to say his say though a whole town's against him that was longfellow our greatest glory is not in never falling but in rising every time we fall and that's goldsmith the barriers are not yet erected which shall say to aspiring talent thus far and no further that was beethoven friends and uh comrades said posario I'm reading to you right now a chapter called Clear Grit. Friends and comrades, said Pizarro, as he turned toward the south after tracing with his sword upon the sand a line from east to west. On the side are toil, hunger, nakedness, and drenching storm. If you don't know what toil means, everyone, it means work, desertion, and death. In this side, ease and pleasure, there lies Peru with its riches here Panama and its poverty choose each man what best becomes a brave Castilian for my part I go to the south so saying he crossed the line and was followed by 13 Spaniards in armor thus on the little island of In the Pacific, when his men were clamoring to return to Panama, did Pizarro and his few volunteers resolve to stake their lives upon the success of a desperate crusade against the powerful empire of the Incas? At the time, they had not even a vessel to transport them to the country they wished to conquer. Is it necessary to add that all difficulties yielded at last to such resolute determination?" And here's a little side note. It says, perseverance is a Roman virtue that wins each godlike act and plucks success even from the spear proof crest of rugged danger. When you get into a tight place and everything goes against you till it seems as if you could not hold on a minute longer, said Harriet Beecher Stowe, never give up then. And for that's just the place and time that the title turn. I believe that to be very, very true in my endeavors in life and experiences as well. Charles Sumner said three things are necessary to a strong character. First, backbone. Second, backbone. Third, backbone. While digging among the ruins of Pompeii, which was buried by the dust and ashes from an eruption of Vesuvius in AD 79... The workmen found the skeleton of a Roman soldier in the sentry box at one of the city's gates. He might have found safety under the shelter rocks close by, but in the face of certain death he had remained at his post a minute uh, excuse me a mute witness to the thorough discipline The ceaseless vigilance and fidelity which made the Roman legionaries masters of the known world. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. The world admires the man who never flinches from unexpected difficulties, who calmly, patiently, and courageously grapples with his fate, who dies if need be at his post clear grit and that is what this chapter is all about and I wanted to read to everyone about clear grit because it's something that I'm realizing a lot of people lack nowadays is grit and this is clear grit always commands respect it is the quality which achieves and everybody admires achievement and the strife of parties and principles backbone without brains will carry against brains without backbone you cannot you cannot by trying an opinion to a man's tongue make him the representative of that opinion at the close of any battle for principles his name will be found neither among the dead nor among the wounded but among the missing the london times was an insignificant was an insignificant sheet published by Mr. Walter and was steadily losing money. John Walter Jr., then only 27 years old, begged his father to give him full control of the newspaper. After many misgivings, the father finally consented. The young journalist began to remodel the establishment and to introduce new ideas everywhere. The paper had not attempted to mold public opinion and had had no individuality or character of its own the audacious young editor boldly attacked every wrong even the government whenever he thought it was corrupt thereupon the public customs printing and the government advertisements were withdrawn i think that needs to happen here in the united states with uh, political commercials on tv because it's driving me absolutely crazy and i know it's driving you guys crazy the father was in utter dismay his son he was sure would ruin the paper and himself but uh, no remonstrance remonstrance could swerve the son from his purpose to give the world a great journal which should have weight character and individuality and independence that's awesome I want to read that again but no remonstrance could swerve the sun from his purpose to give the world a great journal which should have weight character individuality and independence the public soon saw that a new power stood behind the times that its articles meant business that new life and new blood and new ideas had been infused into the insignificant sheet that a man with brains and pushed and Tenacity of purpose stood at the helm, a man who could make a way when he could not find one. Among other new features, foreign dispatches were introduced and they appeared in the Times several days before their appearance in the government organs. The leading article also was introduced to stay. The aggressive editor antagonized the government, and his foreign dispatches were all stopped at the outposts. While the Ministerial journalists were allowed to proceed, but nothing could daunt this resolute young spirit. At enormous expense, he employed special couriers. Every obstacle put in his way and all opposition from the government only added to his determination to succeed. um, Enterprise push grit were behind the times. Enterprise, push, grit were behind the times, and nothing could stay its progress. Young Walter was the soul of the paper, and his personality pervaded every detail. In those days, only 300 copies of the paper could be struck off in an hour by the best presses, and Walter had duplicate and every triplicate type set. I find that to be awesome You know I mean Johann Gutenberg had only invented the printing press Maybe I don't know a 100 years before that Then he set his brain to work And finally the Walter Press Throwing off 17,000 copies per hour Both sides printed Was the result It was the 29th of November 1814 And the first steam printed Paper was given to the world Mean natures always feel a sort of terror before great natures, and many a base thought has been unuttered, many a sneaking vote withheld, through the fear inspired by the rebuking presence of one noble man. As a rule, pure grit character has the right of way. In the presence of men permeated with grit, and sound, and character, meanness, and baseness slight out of the of slight oh excuse me baseness slink out of slight oh, excuse me slink out of sight I'm having trouble reading tonight geesh get it together low sorry guys <laughs> uh, mean men are uncomfortable dishonesty trembles hypocrisy is uncertain Lincoln being asked by an anxious visitor what he would do after three or four years if the rebellion were not subdued," replied, "Oh, there is no alternative but to keep pegging away. It is in me, and it shall come out." Said Sheridan, when told that he would never make an or- orator, or oh, excuse me, orator. As he had failed in his first speech in Parliament, he became known as one of the foremost orators of his day. When a boy Henry Clay was very bashful and diffident and scarcely dared recite before his class at school but he determined to become but he was determined to become an orator so he committed speeches and recited them in the cornfields or in the barn with the horse or the cows for an audience if impossibilities ever exist popularity speaking they ought to have been found somewhere between the birth and death of Kito, that deaf pauper and master of oriental learning. But Kito, that's K-I-T-T-O, did not find them there. In the presence of his decision, um, excuse me, I lost my spot, everybody. Uh, and imperial energy they melted away i really actually tried to look up keto to, to tell you about him but it didn't really tell me much even if he had to uh subsist like the Hottentots, tots he told him that he would sell his book and pawn his handkerchief by which he thought he could raise about 12 shillings he said he could live upon blackberries nuts and field turnips and was willing to sleep on a hay rack here were real here was real grit. What were impossibilities to such a resolute indomitable will? Grit is a permanent, solid quality which enters into the very structure, the very tissues of the Constitution. Many of our generals in the Civil War exhibited heroism. They were plucky and often uh, displayed great determination, but Grant had pure grit. And I've read this in several readings about uh, General Ulysses S. Grant. He had grit. And every writer says, man, his grit was real, and you could feel it. You could see it. In the most concentrated form, even though he was a drunk, he could not be moved from his base. He was self centered, immovable. If you try to wheedle out of him his plans for a campaign, He stolidly smokes. If you call him an imbecile and a blunderer, he blatantly lights another cigar. If you praise him as the greatest general living, he placidly returns the puff from his regala. And if you tell him he should run for presidency, it does not disturb the equanimity with which he inhales and exhales the unsubstantial vapor which uh typifies the politician's promises while you are wondering what kind of creature this man without a tongue is you are suddenly electrified with the news of some splendid victory proving that behind the cigar and behind the face discharged of all telltale expression is the best brain to plan and the strongest heart to dare among the generals of the Republic. Lincoln had pure grit. When the illustrated papers everywhere were curaturing him, when no epithet seemed too harsh to heap upon him, when his methods were criticized by his own party, and the generals in the war were denouncing his foolish confidence and grant and delegations were waiting upon him to ask for that general's removal, the great president sat with crossed legs and was reminded of a story. Lincoln and Grant both had that rare nerve which cares not for ridicule, is not swerved by the public clamor, can bear abuse and hatred. There is a mighty force in truth, and in the sublime conviction, and supreme self confidence behind it, in the knowledge that truth is mighty, and the conviction and confidence that it will prevail. Pure grit is that element of character which enables a man to clutch his aim with an iron grip and keep the needle of his purpose pointing to the star of his hope. Through sunshine and storm, through hurricane and tempest, through sleet and rain, with a leaky ship, with a crew in mutiny, it preserves, in fact, nothing but death, can subdue it, and it dies, still struggling. The man of grit carries in his very presence a power which controls and commands. He is spared the necessity of declaring himself, for his grit speaks in his every act. It does not come by fits and starts. It is a part of his life. It inspires a sublime audacity and a heroic courage. Many of the failures of life are due to the want of grit or business nerve. It, it is unfortunate for a young man to start out in business life with a weak, yielding disposition, with no resolution or backbone to mark his own course and stick to it, with no ability to say no, with no emphasis Obliging this man by investing in hopeless speculation And rather than offend a friend Endorsing a questionable note Which is going to wind up calling you to go bankrupt later LOL (laughs) Laugh out loud A little boy was asked how he learned to skate Oh, by getting up every time I fell down, he replied And like I say on many other podcasts If you fall down, you need to get up Take a step and repeat until you make it to your goal, your journey's end, or whatever. Whipple tells a story of Messina which illustrates the masterful purpose that plucks victory out of the jaws of defeat. After the defeat at Essling, the success of Napoleon's attempt to withdraw his beaten army depended on the character of Messina to whom the emperor dispatched a messenger telling him to keep his portion for two hours longer at Aspern. This order, couched in the form of a request, required almost an impossibility, but Napoleon knew the indomitable tenacity of the man to whom he gave it. The messenger found Messina seated on a heap of rubbish, his eyes bloodshot, his frame weakened by his unparalleled exertions during a contest of 40 hours, and his whole appearance indicated a physical state better befitting the hospital than the field. But that steadfast soul seemed to, excuse me, but that steadfast soul seemed all together unaffected by bodily uh prostration half dead as he was with fatigue he rose painfully and said courageously tell the emperor that i will hold out for two hours and he kept his word often defeated in battle said macaulay of alexander the great he was always successful in war in the battle of marengo marengo the austrians considered The day one, the French army was inferior in numbers and had been, had given away. Excuse me. The French army was inferior in numbers and had given way. The Austrian army extended its wings on the right and on the left to follow up the French. Then, though the French themselves thought that the battle was lost, and the Austrians were confident it was won. Napoleon gave the command to charge, and the trumpets blasted, being given. The old guard charged down into the weakened center of the enemy, cutting it in two, rolled the two wings up on either side, and the battle was won for France. Once, when Marshal Ney was going into battle, looking down at his knees, which were smitting together, or clacking together, he said, You may well shake. You would shake worse, yet... If you knew where I am going to take you. It is victory after victory with the soldier. Lesson after lesson with the scholar. Blow after blow with the laborer. Crop after crop with the farmer. Picture after picture with the painter. And mile after mile with the traveler. That secures what all so much desire. And that is success. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Only You Podcast. Today... I have been reading to you a wonderful read, and I think that this book, I mean, you can get it on every major platform, um, and the book is Pushing to the Front by Orson Martin, and I will say, you guys, this is a five-star read, and I'm telling you about these books right now in hopes that you really will get out there and get them, because I, I want to help somebody, you know, this isn't just about me being on the air me being on the radio or whatever you know or in your car it is not not at all i mean this to me is everything about helping somebody um become better than they were yesterday um this podcast often um leaves me feeling happy when i re-listen to it and i learn from my own words and it i retain the information because i all i read it But I also am listening to it. You know, I just want to say truly, deeply, wholeheartedly, thank you so much for listening, you guys. A promising Harvard student was stricken with paralysis of both legs. Physicians said there was no hope for him. The lad determined to continue his college studies. Again, you guys, I'm reading clear grit. The examiners heard him at his bedside, and in four years he took his degree. He resolved to make a critical study of Dante to do which he had to learn Italian and German. He persevered in spite of repeated attacks of illness and partial loss of sight. He was uh, competing for the university prize. Think of the paralytic lad, helpless in bed, competing for a prize, fighting death inch by inch. What a lesson! Before his manuscript was published or the prize was awarded, the brave student died, but his work was successful. Congressman William W. Crapo, while working his way through college, being too poor to buy a dictionary, actually copied one. (laughs) Wow. Walking from his home in the village of Dartmouth, Massachusetts, to New Bedford, to replenish his store of words and definitions from the town library. On the triumphs of this indomitable spirit of the conqueror, this it it was that enabled Franklin to dine on a small loaf in the printing office with a book in his hand. It helped Loke to live on bread and water in a Dutch garret, it enabled Gideon Lee to go barefoot in the snow, half-starved and thinly clad. It sustained Lincoln and Garfield on their hard journeys from the log cabin to the White House. And it, President um, Shadbourne put grit in place of his lost lung and worked 35 years after his funeral had been planned. Wow, yeah, so they planned his funeral and he worked 35 years after it. He didn't die. So, Henry uh, Fawcett put grit in place of eyesight and became the greatest postmaster general England had ever seen. Prescott also put grit in place of eyesight and became one of America's greatest historians. And uh, Prescott, Arizona, it used to be the capital of Arizona. And then, and that town's named after this gentleman, Prescott, here. Um, Uh, They moved the capital to Phoenix after that. And actually, I think they had four capitals. They had several different capitals. Even Tombstone was actually the capital at one time in Arizona. Francis Parkman put grit in place of health and eyesight and became the greatest historian of America America, uh, in his time. Thousands of men have put grit in place of health, eyes, ears, hands, legs, and yet have achieved marvelous success. Indeed, most of the great things of the world have been accomplished by grit and pluck. And I don't, um, you guys, I don't, I'm not sure if anybody out there understands what pluck means. Um, pluck is, it means, um, take hold of something and quickly remove it from its place. Um, and it's like by grit and pluck, you you can. Not keep a man down who has these qualities. He will make stepping stones out of his stumbling blocks and lift himself to success. At 50, Barnum was a ruined man. That's Barnum and Bailey Circus, y'all. Barnum and Bailey Circus. Yes. Actually, over the weekend, I learned about a guy. uh, um, What was his name? Uh, He was a three-legged guy. Frank... uh, Oh, he was a vaudeville actor. I can't think of his name right now, but he was really interesting. Um, at 50, Barnum was a ruined man, owing thousands more than he possessed. Yet he resolutely resembled business once more. Fairly wringing success from adverse fortune and paying his notes. At the same time, again and again, he was ruined, but like uh, phoenix-like. He rose repeatedly from the ashes... Of his misfortune each time, more determined than before. And obviously we all know who Barnum is because um Barnum and Bailey Circus, you know, they went on to be do great things, become great people. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast, and sorry I was stuttering and stumbling the whole time. I <laughs> I try to do my best when I'm out here talking to everybody, but um yeah, today I really honestly I truly wanted to share with you um you know pushing to the front by Orison Sweet Martin because this is a 5-star book and you can find it on all the major platforms that I tell you guys about um and there's a lot to learn here. Um there's a lot to understand, there's a lot to uh dive into and unpack in this book. So many different um, ideas came to me while I was reading this that I wanted to share with you guys, but you know, a lot of times I choose a chapter because it has something to do with what I want to teach you about. And right now, I want to tell you about how you can actually learn to build grit in your own life and, you know, go on to become kind of admirable in your own right, your own right, you know? And I'm getting this right now from the University of Michigan. They had, done a write, um, they had done a writing up there on GRIT, so I thought it was kind of important to include it. What is GRIT and why does it matter? GRIT is um, passion and perseverance for long-term and meaningful goals. It is important because it's a key driver of achievement and success. And it is far more important than talent and IQ. Studies have shown that deep down, most of us believe talent is the main reason for success. Does that mean, but I don't believe that. I think it has to do with repetition. You know, showing up is 90% of the battle. You know, if you don't show up for an audition, how are you ever going to be an actor or whatever? You know, does that mean that there isn't a need for us, normal people, to aspire to be great? Not if you ask, uh, whoever this guy is, for, oh, it's, uh, I, can, I can never say his name, Nteschi, Netzgi. I can't say it, sorry, you guys, for if we think of genius as something magical, we are not obliged to compare ourselves and find ourselves lacking, hmm, and that's a book, you guys, in fact, when it comes to how we fare in the marathon of life, it's, Effort that trumps everything else. Yeah, the more effort you put into. How can you grow from grit? Clarify your goals. The grittiest people are crystal clear about their ultimate goal. Um, The most of their smaller goals align with that goal. Duckworth suggests that Warren Buffett's three-step process to unify your goal. One, write down a list of 25 career goals. Yes, you might have that many. And you might not. You might struggle. Two, circle the five highest priority goals. Soul searching needed for that step right there. Trust me, I tried it. You got a soul search on number two. Uh, Circle the five highest priority goals. And number three, Warren Buffett does is look at the remaining 20 goals, which are in support of your highest five goals. All the other goals, avoid them at all costs. They distract you. Yeah, and I was reading earlier, too, that... When you do this and you list everything out, like, once you realize that those don't matter, you focus nothing on those. Because they're actually holding you back and causing you chaos when you're trying to reach that goal. And they'll deter you from reaching that goal. Two is discover your interests. Excuse me. Interest is the source of passion. In fact, people are more satisfied with their jobs when they do something that fits their personal interests. But often it takes time to discover your interests. True. Three, practice deliberability. So you got to be deliberate. People who are gritty simply spend more time on tasks. A lot more time on tasks. Also, they practice deliberability. Which means... Their practice is characterized by a clear, defined stretch goal, full concentration and effort, immediate and informative feedback, repetition with reflection and refinement. Four is know your purpose. You know the spark inside of you when you're passionate about something. That is the beginning of purpose. Whatever your passion is, ask yourself how it connects to other people how it connects to the bigger picture, and how it is ex- an expression of your deepest values. And that's important. If you don't do that, you're never going to find your true grit. Five is practice optimistic self-talk. Yeah, I wake up every day and think, man, you know, today's going to be a great day. I can do better today than I did yesterday. I just have to be focused on, um, you know, staying true to myself, staying true to my routine, You know, exercising my vagal nerve, you know, taking care of my body, exercising, period. You know, if I feel depressed, I exercise, you know, learning how to do things to make myself become a more successful person. Um, Practice optimistic self-talk, you know, because there's another thing in psychology called negative self-talk. And a lot of people are raised like this. And unfortunately, when we're being domesticized, you know, at at four or five and six, we, you know create these parameters from our parents. And so we talk negatively about ourselves because unfortunately our parents were, you know, verbally abused by their parents. So then it just passes on and they don't even realize they're doing it. Like my mom never really realized that she was verbally abusing us kids. She had no idea because her dad was in the military, her brothers were in the military. It was a normal lifestyle to them. But in reality, I was different, and my whole life, I hated it. I did not enjoy it. I did not, you know, the, but it's easy for a kid to become, you know, inside their mind, like, you're stupid. Why'd you do that, you dummy? Oh, you're so dumb. You're so ignorant. Oh, you can't ever do anything right. You know, and that's negative self-talk. So number five, practice optimistic self-talk. Henry Ford wrote, whether you think you can or you think you can't. You're right. A lot of what you attempt depends on your mindset, and that's true for everything. You know, we get so focused on certain things that our mindset always sends us off into a tailspin. In addition, pay attention to your self-talk. People say 300 to 1,000 words to themselves per minute, you know, so you got to pay attention to every single word. Make Make sure, you know, 700 of those words that you're thinking... Or something that's inspiring, you know, that's going to give you some kind of true grit. Something that makes your character like no other character. Six is join a gritty culture. The culture we live in and identify with powerfully shapes just about every aspect of our being. If you want to be grittier, find a gritty culture and join it. The hard way is to do it by yourself. For example, I swim on the Ann Arbor master's swim team which requires getting up at 5 a.m and swimming 3,000 to 4,000 yards per practice would i do it alone ever but when there are 40 others showing up at dawn to go swimming of course i'm going to you know and the final thing for a tip um if you're a parent try the duckworth's family hard thing rule remember that try duckworth's family hard thing rule. Everyone, including the parents, has to do a hard thing that requires daily practice. What's best for kids is a structured, non-curricular activity. An adult is in charge. Ideally, they are supportive and demanding, and the pursuits are designed to cultivate interest, practice, purpose, and hope. And thank you guys once again for listening to the only you podcast. Tune again and until next time, please be good to yourselves, you guys.